Hello. Welcome to Dish Knows Nothing. I'm Michael Dishno. Sometimes we'll talk about stuff, and other days we'll talk about things. Some days we're just going to talk about what's on my mind. This is a warning. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Feels good to be back in the recording studio. Been about, as far as chronology, if that's the full use of the word, um, about two months since season three kicked off with episode one, and now we're back with episode two, and it feels good. Um, it's weird to take like a two-month-long break, but uh, we're back, and I'm super excited to be sharing again, to be able to bring this stuff to you guys. I'm going to turn this up just a little bit. There we go. That's a good amount. Now it's not telling me it's way too loud or nothing. Okay. Okay. So yeah, ladies and gentlemen, episode two, I'm super stoked. Um, I got some things evidently on my mind, took more than enough time away from the mic and away from the recording studio specifically for podcasts to be able to have some content. I have some things I want to share and I'm pretty much just going to get into it, I think. There was totally something. No, there wasn't. Okay, never mind. I totally scatterbrained like every single time I jump right in the seat and I'm like, mm, there was more. There wasn't. Um, it's just season three. This is the vibe of season three. I will say I really want to have a guest soon. I really do. Um, we will see when that is, how the flow of season three flows, and then go from there. But a lot of lot of good things coming for the future of the podcast. Uh, it's definitely been a change, not like pushing. People still been asking me like, oh, like you still doing the podcast? I'm like, technically, yeah, very technically. It has, it has been a minute. But uh, yeah, I still am and we're still here. So it's been a lot of fun, but I got a lot of cool things in the works, hopefully for other parts of my life that have taken my time more so. One quick life update. <coughs> Sorry, I'm, <coughs> I'm having my kombucha right now. I started having a little bit of kombucha again, help my stomach out. It's been helping. That's good. Um, this one is uh, one of those immune boosters, citrus flavor, delicious, but uh, yeah, I feel it a little bit. Ugh, okay. Um, I'll be fine. I also have my water. I have been busy looking into my health still, and I'm not going to get into the details, but um, I have a bulging disc in my lower back. I think I actually mentioned that last time because I've maybe known for just a quick minute. I've been going to physical therapy, and I think it's helping. I finally went surfing for the first time in like maybe six months, and I did not uh, pinch a nerve in my back, which was amazing. Um, I still really out of shape, still um, working through a lot of things like that, but um, it was still a real good time as far as like good news. I also had an MRI for my neck because that's also out of sorts. Um and I wanted to share something because I don't have the results of that one yet. And we'll find out um, <laughs> if it's worth something to share or not. But basically, I don't know if you guys have ever had an MRI. It's magnets, apparently. Actually, no. 
We're going deeper. Here's the deal. We're basically jumping in. I'm just going to start going off. I got a lot of things on my mind that I want to share. I will get to the song of the day and I will get to my like set topics, but I need to start with this. How does MRI work? I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty good at Googling the things I need to Google and find answers for. And one of the things is the dumber you are, the easier Google makes it for you. So if you're like super specific, like, yeah, you can find your answers, sure. How does MRI work? I find an answer. It's highlighted. It's ready to go and I can find other videos. MRIs employ powerful magnets, which produce a strong magnetic field that forces protons in the body to align with the field. When a radio frequency current is then pulsed through the patient, the protons are stimulated and spin out of equilibrium, straining against the pole of the magnetic field. So anyways, it's magnets. They get a real weird looking thing of your, your body. My neurologist made a weird, it wasn't a joke, but he was just like, can you imagine if we just all looked like this all day? And instead of like getting to know each other's outsides and everything, we just saw like we all look the same on the inside. And I was like, it was deeper than it needed to be on like an 8 a.m. appointment at the neurologist, but uh, there was something beautiful to it that we'll get into another time, I'm sure. So magnets, I mean, oh man, I'll talk about, I need to get someone who really knows magnets someday and bring them up here and, and we'll talk because like magnets are crazy and they blow my mind. How do they work? Ferrous uh, stones or metals, my, my, my. Here's the deal. If you've ever had an MRI, you maybe experienced this, but apparently not everyone does. Sometimes you get tingly. You just do. Um, they obviously, like most of our clothes, like like the buttons on our pants or the zippers and stuff like that aren't going to be magnetic and the, the machine won't um, like pull on them or, or like hurt you for bringing them inside because apparently it's a very powerful magnet, magnet that can like pull at really fast speeds if the wrong thing is in there. Look it up. Um... But basically, you go in this thing and they magnetize, they use this magnetic field to get a scan of your body and you got to take off all of your magnets. So I can't wear my watch. I can't wear my wedding ring, like glasses. I got to take all these things off. I will say my first one for my lower back was a really great experience. I was so relaxed because it was for my lower back as the focus. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I got to... Um, have headphones. They gave me like little headphones that obviously weren't magnetic in the sense or whatever. I don't know how they worked, but um, I got to wear headphones and they play like old timey radio songs like the Eagles and stuff and Brandy by the Looking Glass. It was great. 20, 30-ish minutes. I have no clue how long I was in there, but I just sat there and every now and then he'd be like, oh, we're going good. This one's two minutes. Hold still. And you have to hold still. So that's what one of the harder parts. Um, this time I had to hold still. I did not get headphones because my head had to be um, in between these like two blocks on each side to like, I don't know if it was like blocking certain things or if it just was basically so that my head stays still. And it was not as comfortable. The machine is loud. Uh, you have, you actually wear um, earplugs regardless if they play music for you. And then you go in this like machine and um, they ask you if you're like claustrophobic because it's pretty tight. I don't get claustrophobic, um, but I get very motion sick, which was not fun when you feel the push and pull of a very strong magnet, which they were sharing. And I don't know what these numbers represent in any way, shape or form, but they were like, yeah, this magnet in reference to the strength. And they were using more things that I just don't remember. 
it's like, oh, it's like a 1.5 and they have this other strong one. Or like, I think even over in Newport beach, they said that's like a three. And so it's like double the strength and you'll feel it maybe more, but basically, um, uh, where was I? You go into this thing, this, this one for my neck wasn't as comfortable, but you have to hold still. And it would be great if you could just like close your eyes and be pretty comfortable. And the first one I could, it wasn't too bad, but in it, cause that one, my head was mostly out of the machine. So I could see the room and I wasn't getting like nauseous from thinking I'm spinning, but I was laying down in this one. I had to go head first into it, which wasn't a claustrophobic thing. Um, but if I closed my eyes, I would feel the magnet, like magnetic field and pull too much. And I would get like, feel like I'm spinning, even though obviously the machine itself isn't spinning with me inside of it. There's parts that are spinning. Um, or whatever inside. And so I, um, what was I going to say? I keep my eyes open, but this like, I don't know how big this hole is. I mean, maybe two to three feet. I don't know if there's like different sizes for different people in a sense, because I don't think any, everyone would fit through there is one way of saying it. But like, um, like while I'm laying down, the top of this thing is like six inches from my face. And if I close my eyes, I get sick. So I have to leave them open and try to focus on like this, like just like piece of plastic. And it has like these light strips on the side that I also don't want to look at because they're a little bright. And so it was like such a struggle to like hold still, not move, stay calm and not freak out for any reason of like, oh, what are they fighting in my neck? Oh, what if this thing collapses? Yeah, I saw the Insidious uh, trailer this year. What if something crawls out the back end of this MRI machine, which this thing was too short, it wouldn't be possible. But like, it's crazy. Like, um, as I was in there, I would feel like this tingling all over my skin. And the first time that happened, I was like, okay, it was, it was like, it felt like a fan was blowing on like your arm hair. Um, and I felt that. And then every now and then I would feel it like a little bit deeper into my skin where it starts to feel like, um, you're like a, your arm is asleep type of thing. Like it feels like that type of tingling and it would only do it when the machine was on. So clearly I was like feeling whatever, presence the magnets release right this time oh i don't know if it was like a little bit stronger or just like the placement or i ate something which is for sure like possible i was trying to look into it but i don't want to look into it too much while i was sitting there in my stomach under each side of my ribs um right where my ribs end i would feel with the machine, like pushing and pulling whatever was in my stomach. And like, there was a few moments I was like, what if it rips out of me? Cause I've heard like horror stories. Like I didn't really think it was going to, it wasn't like that strong, but I would very clearly feel it with the push and pull of the machine's rhythm. Like dun, 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 dun. not, not like the Jumanji uh, drum beat right there, but like, just imagine like your intestines, like going at that rate, like in and out, like, you know how, when, you like have your heartbeat or like a spasm or whatever and you like feel it. It's like that feeling, but like pretty, uh, pretty high, like, uh, like a pretty extreme push and pull. Like it's not just like a little like, it's like, 
Like I felt it moving my skin. And I was like, dude, did I just eat something with like a bunch of iron in it? And I was like, I had Chipotle. And I was going to start looking into it, like food content and stuff like that. But I was like, I'm not going to look into it too much. Um, and iron was like one of the things I found that it could have been. But yeah, I did not like it. I'm hoping they find nothing is wrong with me. And they just do a little more physical therapy for uh, geared towards my neck to help out with that. But yeah, I I had another MRI. The other thing I've been thinking a lot about, and it, uh, so I've been thinking about, and this is still the life update part. I haven't even gotten the topics. I'll go over the topics and, and everything. Um, I've been thinking about the thought of like having a job that you love so much that you do, that you pour everything into, that you, that like exhausts you and you don't have like energy or maybe even time for things outside of your 40 hours a week, maybe plus whatever, or having a job that is like 40 hours, not like brain numbing, but like you just do it and it's a job. Maybe you don't love it, but you get paid well so that you can pursue other things outside of work. I will 100% admit disclaimer. I'm not looking for like a huge, um, career change anytime soon, especially the people, uh, I may be employed alongside. Do not worry. Um, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just, it, it's been making me think and trying to encourage me to do things outside of work, regardless of where I am currently employed. So that's been on my mind a lot. And I've been wanting to set more goals and be more specific. And I've been learning with a lot of like online resources about like music production, um, the potential to become a viable, music studio one day, <clears throat> whatever that looks like financially and how I can, you know, make money off of that would be fantastic and how I can realistically hold on to the dream that I have of like, I want to help other people make the music that they want to make. Um, cause I don't feel like I'm God's gift to man. And I'm like, my songs are the best songs ever written and I just need to share them. I don't feel like that. Otherwise I would go find like a recording studio and have someone produce my music. I want to help other people and I want to bring creative visions to life because I have creative visions, obviously. But I want to help other people with like words and stuff because I don't have that that side where I'm like the best. So I want to make music with other people. That's been a big thing of what I already do. Even Man of Mars and other projects I've worked on. Like I'm even starting a band soon. I've been learning the drums and has been going pretty well. Um, I'm trying to start a band soon and we we are taking it slow to not like have any kind of quick burnout and not have the dream become a reality. But uh, I want to play with people. I want to play uh, songs and music with people. And it just got me thinking about that. And one of the goals I was like trying to set and um, <clears throat> just remaining like, it's like this weird mix of like personal professional. Cause like, I don't know if I'll ever do it for a career and I'm not like, I need to get a job in sound production tomorrow. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I'm happy where I'm at vocationally, but like, I want to do these other things that I'm not getting paid for, but I'm still learning and enjoying that who knows, maybe could become a job one day. So it's like, I'm taking my personal hobbies professionally like treating them like that because I'm finding a lot of, um, uh, what is the word value in that? And so I want to like, I was setting goals. I mean, my birthday is next week coming up here. If you've listened to episode 15.30, you know that me and one of my guests, Maddie Hammonds have the same birthday, October 30th. So that's coming up if you listen to this ASAP, but, uh, super stoked for that. And I'm going to be 27 years old. And I was like, I'm actually super excited to get old. I'm not like, oh no, 30. Like I'm like, dude, I can't wait till I start getting some gray hair, get that salt pepper look. Maybe I'll look like Bobby Scruggs. If you guys don't know who that is, I'm sure, unless you do. 
but he's got a nice little salt and pepper vibe. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a part of life. And as I look up to people that I admire, uh, especially in the industry of like music production, Jack Antonoff, like the, you know, there's people like that even, uh, you know, I have to admit Taylor Swift, I saw the heiress tour movie, such a fun time, totally respect her, totally look up to her. She's a phenomenal performer and just talented musician. Um, say what you will, who knows how much of it she does. I think she does a lot of it and she's a dreamer. Um, and I respect it and it inspires me and I'm like, man, I want to do more with music. So I set a goal and I thought about it and I think this is realistic. I want to produce three other people's music by the time I'm 30. So I have three years, um, whatever that looks like, if it's a single per person, if it's an album or if it's an EP split across them, whatever, I want to work on other people's music that isn't mine. I was talking to a friend, Matt Davies Morris. I also, <laughs> that was also another guest. I don't want you guys to think that my only friends are the people that I have guests on here. I have tons of other people. I promise I'm not saying, oh, I'll have another guest someday because I've run out of friends. I have friends. Um, I'm a friendly person for the most part. Um, but uh, I just, I, you know, have cool conversations with people. So I had some lunch. I'm talking so fast. I have so much on my mind. How much time has already been? Okay, 15, 16, whatever. So I had lunch with Matt Davies Morris and he is an actor. He is in short films. I think he just did his first feature. Matt, if you ever listen to this, please uh, confirm or deny and correct me <clears throat> if I'm wrong. But uh, Matt is an actor and he's about 25 years old, similar age range as I am. And he was telling me that in early college, he took a class for acting and the teacher told him, no one will know who you are for the first 10 years of your career. And I think that's really encouraging. I think something about that stood out to me as encouraging because right we can do this work and we can become artists and we can make movies and we can make music videos and we can make songs and we can make podcasts but so much of what we're doing right now is like the long term you know might not be you know maybe what makes us famous obviously but it's like we want to just build this experience and build like this repertoire of stuff and have it in our back pocket or like portfolio if you're like an artist like of things that you've done to prove like, Hey, I've been doing this for 10 years. You know, I have this experience and I, I, I think I really identify as being in that, or I've really identified for myself that I'm in that phase and that's okay. And I don't have to be in a rush to grow up. And, you know, as I'm older, you know, I posted on Facebook the other day. Uh, I think I put it on Instagram too, but basically like there's a side of me that I want to learn a few more instruments before I get older or before I die even. And I mean, if I'm really famous, I'll die this next year when I'm 27. Um, God forbid that happens, actually. I want to live a long life with my wife. Um, but that was a 27 Club joke. Teehee. I will, you know, I'm not that special to die at 27. I'm going to take a drink of my kombucha real quick. So. I want to learn more instruments and I posted on Facebook the other day and I was like, you know what? I want to turn 40 and be like, I've been playing drums for over 20 or uh, 10 years. As I'm starting now, I'll have about 13 years. I also want to feel that way about alto and tenor saxophone. Um, you know, by the time I'm 40, guitar is going to be like 25 years, which is really rad. Um, but like it just puts it into perspective that like there's so much time left. I have so much more time to like do stuff with life. But like I do want to start now. I don't need to be like, oh, well, I'll start drumming when I'm 40. I could, but then I might not have as much experience. And if I want to be a professional musician, producer, 
artist as a very general term. I wonder if you guys can hear Bentley in the background barking at all of the neighbors right now. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you could definitely hear him. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn down something because I think it's funny. Anyways, okay, so... Uh, Dang, Bentley really made me lose my train of thought there. But basically, like, growing older, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I have all these, like, things that I want to do. And I've just been putting it into perspective for me with, like, hey, it might not matter where I work. Um, but there's things that I want to do that will elevate my experience in life. So the sponsors of the day. Now that the intro is out of the way for this episode. Um, Arcasia Randall Jewelry. Who would have thought... Um, I haven't even like, I don't know. I don't post enough. Don't do enough on social media. But folks, if you are listening to this podcast, please, please check out Kasia Randall Jewelry. Um, she has some phenomenal, um, phenomenally made jewelry available all year round. And she's always coming out with new stuff. It actually surprised me. I think like this last few months, she's come out with quite a few new lines and like options that I've been seeing on Instagram. Um, and they've just been super duper phenomenal. So I would highly recommend you guys check them out. If you do use Dishy15 as a uh, promo code, coupon code, whatever it might show up, uh, specifically for that spot there, um, Dishy15 with two Ys, you can get 15% off uh, for being a supporter of the podcast by listening and a supporter of Kasia Randall Jewelry. So folks, please check her stuff out. She's fantastic. Um, I always post uh, about her when I uh, do the announcements for here. So check it out. Um, and you will not be sorry if you buy any of your loved ones, something from there as a present, or if you love yourself and you buy yourself something from there, then, um, you won't regret it either. I haven't regret any of the things that I've actually purchased there, um, from Casual Rondo Jewelry. Check it out. The other one I used to, uh, say a sponsor was a honey hive. This is more of a shout out because she is currently, my friend Kalea, she is currently uh, taking a bit of a break and working on some cool things for her uh, passions also, I'll say. I think she, uh, maybe in a similar space that I've been exploring and getting some inspiration from her of like focusing on like her tattoo artistry and wanting to get an apprenticeship and whatever that looks like and whatever the next steps might be for her you know, and her husband as they live life. And so uh, respect to artists everywhere. I always wanted to support. And yeah, uh, she's not doing it right now, but I will post obviously in the future as she's doing stuff um, because it's super rad. So the last would-be sponsor. Stance, I have not forgotten. I will never erase your name from my sponsors list. I would love it if Stance sponsored me. I wear all your guys' socks. No, okay. All the socks I wear are your guys's. <laughs> I don't have every single one. Um, if you sent me them for free, then I could, which would, you know, maybe that's that's what we need. I would have every one of your socks if you sent me all of them for free. Um, and I would be happy. And I would say your name or do an ad. Um, for those of you who don't know, Stance has quality socks. Um, some of my favorite products that they have are from their infinite and that is knit with a K in their um, collection and 
For those of you who don't know, if you have stance socks and you don't know if they're infant or not, if you roll down the cuff, you will see a little um, infinity symbol. And that's how you know that they're a part of the infinite collection, which means that if they ever tear, poke a hole in it with your shoe or your toe, they'll replace them. I have to admit, because of the quality of fabric they use or, or whatever that, that um, material is, I've had none that have torn. The only one that tore actually my dog chew a, chewed a hole through the toe. And I don't know if that was like a part of their infinite uh, uh, option to swap that out. So uh, I didn't. I just bought a new pair of the same kind because I liked them so much. Um, but if I ever tear them, I, I will go back and I, I wholeheartedly believe that they'll do it. Uh, they're a fantastic company. So you guys should also check them out. They're a great gift coming up on the holiday season, whatever holidays you want to buy stuff for people for, or you want to buy me something. Stance, you cannot go wrong. I am a size 10 and a half. That would be their large uh, sizing for socks. And I will say thank you if you do that. The song of the day is Rosalie by Newtown Burnout. This is a song by my boy, Ricky He's in, he, he has his band, Newtown Burnout, just came out with an EP, four tunes. This was my favorite one on there, mainly because I heard it before it came out. He sent it my way and was like, can you tell me what you think? And we talked about it for a minute, but uh, it's a fantastic song. Check it out. Um, it's too good. So please, please just take a look at it. Support artists. Um, I'm just, we want to be artists supporting artists who are supporting artists. Without further ado, I have topics. Oh, I'm sitting back. Sorry. I'm sitting back up. Okay. I have my topics, and here they are. The first one, the history of San Francisco. Um, it's been on the list for a minute, and I think it's important that we we talk about it. Um, I found a succinct portion. This is too succinct. Okay, they say you can't trust Wikipedia, but that might be the way we go right now. Hmm. Actually, I found one from a company called 49miles.com with an article written by Kyle Legg on June 1st, 2022. We might read it. I have no clue what's going to happen. I haven't read it before this, uh, but we might go over that. The second topic, or one of the second topics, I don't know what order I'm going to do these all in, but actually I do. The second one is going to be, do we think TV is real? I think that's important for us to talk about, and we'll get to what I mean. And the last topic... And this is a shout out to Bryce, which obviously, because I'm mentioning him, uh, was a guest on my my podcast. And of course, I have other friends than my guests on the podcast, um, but we were talking about it and it got me thinking, so I want to talk about it. D&D and characters I've made and how it brings us together. Um, but I think I'm actually going to talk about like D&D character creation and the characters I made and how it brings us together to be more specific, but we will get to that at the end. I might have to take a break. This might be a longer episode. Pause anytime. Come back. Enjoy your nine to five. Get your commuted. And ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Hello. 
I'm just kidding. I'm not going to play the intro again. Um, so, what was my... Oh, the history of San Francisco. Folks, that was only five seconds ago for me. Like, it wasn't a big, long break. I didn't actually... Like, that was the same amount of time it heard you guys to hear that transition. I don't know how I forgot that. The alone San Francisco's first settlers. settlers. So, the alone O-H-L-O-N-E, I will admit I'm ignorant. I don't know a lot of history, which is why I chose to talk about history and learn about history, because this is a show about the things that I do not know. Um, ironically, we're going to talk about D&D, and I know a lot about that. So um, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing alone, but uh, I do the best I can, and I mean no disrespect in any of it. So my mic is not holding still. This is funny. I'm going to just quick, 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 quick. Okay, the alone, San Francisco's first settlers, the first people to settle in the area now known as San Francisco were the alone. The group of Native Americans who arrived around 500 AD, um, the alone people were some of the first people to live in the San Francisco Bay Area and they have a deep connection to the land. The alone people have a rich culture and history. They have their own language known as the alone language, which is a member of the larger Costanoan language family. The alone people have a rich tradition of storytelling, music, and dance. They also uh, they are also known for their skill in basket weaving and other crafts. Hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Honestly, with the amount of times that I've been to San Francisco, and like even on family trips, and like seen like history things in general growing up, I'm really surprised I've never heard of the alone people. Just shows you how it is. So it, it is interesting, though, that they arrived here around 500 AD. So if anyone wants to enlighten me, the definition of Native Americans, if they arrived here, um, or look into the alone people more and then get back to me and maybe come on the show with a big old history update about the alone people. I wouldn't be mad about that uh, alternative. Um, but they lived in the area for a thousand years before the arrival of European settlers. The first European settlers to arrive in the area were the Spanish who came in late 1700. Um, the Spanish colonization of the area had a profound impact on the alone people. Many alone people were killed or forced into slavery by the Spanish. I think it's crazy. The idea of imperialism. And I'm glad that there's a side that we have now the ability to talk to people across the world through the internet to know that we don't, um, need to go around conquering lands and be like, that's just, it. I, I'm, I'm not ignorant in the sense that like, I know that still happens and I know there's wars across the world and, and crazy things that this show doesn't focus on because I am not going to claim to be one of the educated people in any of those areas. Um, but I just, uh, I once read the heart of darkness by Joseph Conrad, which is big on like imperialism. I believe, off the top of my head, in the upper portion of Africa, the heart of... No, it's totally not. I'm so off weight. Um, yeah, I think it's because it's the European, the late 1890s. Um, so it's funny because I knew this and I feel really ridiculous and I got this answer quick. But it's in the Congo, but I have no clue. Okay, Central Africa. 
<laughs> okay, yeah, I'm not a geography person whatsoever, but yeah, it's in the Congo. Um, but that was like big on imperialism. And I read that like in 12th grade. And it was like one of the first books I ever read. Sorry, every other teacher that I told I read a book to. Uh, Miss uh, Carrie Lucas was one of the first ones to really get me to read a book. Um, and enjoy it, I will say. That might be one of the bigger caveats there. Oh, I'm on my, I'm on my cable. One second. I don't want to break these. Oh, my gosh. We're good. Okay. Oh, my back support. I'm really struggling, guys. That was really ASMR-y sounding. Oh, I'm going to pause. I spilt my water. Anyway, so what I was saying is <clears throat> Heart of Darkness was one of like the first books I read. It's about like British imperialism in the Congo. Oh, I'm not going to look it up again. Anyways, about imperialism. So something that interests me to read about because it's still applicable. Moving on. <clears throat> the Alone people continued to live in the Bay Area after the Spanish left in the early 1800s. The Alone people came into contact with another group of Native Americans, the Miwok people. Miwok? I'm going to say it fast. Miwok people. The Alone and Miwok people lived together peacefully for many years. Nice. The Alone people had faced many challenges in recent years. In the mid-1900s, the Alone people were forcibly relocated from their traditional lands in the Bay Area to other parts of California. Many Alone people died during this time. It's a very interesting way to say that they were probably, like, violently pushed from their land or their place. But um, I respect the, the grind, Kyle Legg, of how you worded that. Uh Spanish discovery and colonization in San Francisco. So the first recorded European sighting of San Francisco Bay was November 4th, 1769, when Spanish explorers, uh, explorer Gaspar de Partola uh, sighted the Golden Gate Strait while on a coastal exploration with a group of soldiers and missionaries. The strait was named after St. Francis of Assisi. The founder of the Franciscan Order. Okay. We learned that. Cool. San Franciscan friars were the first to settle in the area, establishing missions uh, at Dolores in present-day San Francisco and San Rafael in present-day Marin County in, in 1776. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Crazy. <laughs> the Spanish colonization of San Francisco did not last long. However, as the area was soon claimed by the Mexicans after they won Independence Day from Spain or won independence from Spain in 1821, I can't read, sorry. Uh the Mexican period was categorized or characterized by a large influx of American settlers, many of whom were interested in exploiting California's natural resources such as timber and gold. The gold rush from 1848 and 1855, San Francisco was transformed from a sleepy little town of around 800 residents into a booming city of over 50,000 people. The reason was the discovery of gold in the nearby Sierra Nevada foothills in 1848. Crazy. Um, gold Rush is interesting. I don't know enough about it. I should look into that in another episode maybe. I'm going to write that on my list right now so I don't forget because I will. The Gold Rush. I remember Eureka. 
means I found it. The gold rush was not all sunshine and rainbows. However, the influx of people led to a severe housing shortage and sky-high prices for basic necessities kind of sounds like everywhere today in California. San Francisco has become a very lawless place, or also became, past tense, as there was no real government or law enforcement to speak of. This led to a lot of crime. The city became known for its vice and corruption. Despite all of the hardships, the gold rush was an immensely important event in American history. Um, it's the first time uh, that people from all over the world came to California in large numbers, and it forever changed the state. Um, the great 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Dang, 1906 earthquake and subsequent fires devastated San Francisco. More than 3,000 people died, and over 80% of the city was destroyed. The earthquake struck at 5.12 a.m. on Wednesday, April 18, 1906, and had an estimated magnitude of 7.9. The epicenter was just offshore of San Francisco. The shaking was felt as far away as Los Angeles and inland to the Sierra Nevada. The earthquake caused extensive damage to buildings, roads, and other infrastructure. The fires that broke out afterwards burned for several days and destroyed even more of the city. It was one of the worst natural disasters in American history. True. Reemergence of San Francisco. San Francisco had been had been rebuilt before, after fires in 1851 and 1852 had destroyed much of the city, but those events were nothing compared to the earthquake in 1906. The earthquake and resulting fires killed an estimated 3,000 people left more than half the city. 400,000 residents were left homeless, uh, but San Francisco did not give up. The city was rebuilt with even more determination than before. New buildings were constructed to stricter standards and the city's infrastructure was improved. Let me know if I'm reading too fast, guys. Or just speed up and slow down the podcast, I guess. Because you can't let me know, I realize. In 1915, I'm not live streaming this, so this is just me time becoming you time. Meant to be us time. I don't know if that made sense. First part did. 1915 World Fair in San Francisco was a momentous event in the city's history. Not only did the show did it showcase the city's progress and prosperity, but it also put San Francisco on the world stage. For the first time, the city was able to show off its unique culture and diversity to a global audience. The fair also boosted the city's economy and helped it spur its development. Checks out. World Fair sounds crazy. I should look more into that sometime. Wow, who knew I would learn so much about other interesting things while reading about history? This is crazy. For the first time, no, okay. Construction of the Golden Gate, Golden Gate Bridge began on January 5th, 1933 and was completed on uh, May 27th, 1937. Four years, okay, 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 okay. The Golden Gate Bridge was the longest suspension bridge in the world at the time of its completion and remained the longest until 1964. Doesn't tell me what took it over. The first Bay Bridge was built in 1936, connecting Oakland to San Francisco. The bridge was designed by engineer Charles H. Purcell. Okay. Wait. Oh, one was a suspension bridge, and then the Bay Bridge is a steel bridge which was it was one of the longest ones for quite a long time from 1936 when it was completed to 18, 1981 the city of counterculture or <laughs> i really can't read my brain is frying just reading this thing here this is funny history 
of counterculture in San Francisco. In 1950s, a group of writers and artists who called themselves the Beatniks began to gather in San Francisco, influenced by jazz and poetry, and they rejected the materialism and conformity of mainstream society. Aren't they there still? <laughs> Isn't that what hipsters are? Do they live mostly in San Francisco, or is that... Am I, am I one? The Beatniks were the forerunners of the counterculture uh, that developed the city in the city in 1960s. That that da was based on the belief that peace and love were the answer to the world's problems. I mean, I might be a beatnik. They advocate for free love, mind-expanding drugs, and an alternative lifestyle. Okay, two out of three ain't bad. Um, the counterculture quickly gained a following in the city, and, be, and by 1967, the so-called Summer of Love, thousands of young people had converged on San Francisco. Um, crazy. So, Hate Nashbury, if you guys know where that is, the neighborhood is still home to many of the original hippie businesses, and the city continues to be a center for progressive politics and social change. <sighs> okay, I'm getting bored. This is a lot of reading. I'm only like halfway through. So, So they talk about history of technology and innovation in San Francisco, history of gay liberation and gay rights in San Francisco. They talk about the Manhattanization of San Francisco, the San Francisco dot com boom, recent history of San Francisco. There's a that that there's a lot of reading. Do a quick skim. Um Yeah, there's so much, and I am not going to read all of it. You can always check it out. Um, Manhattanization is a crazy word. Oh, BART. I've heard that word. BART system. Okay, so dot com boom... Gentrification, homelessness, rising rents and property values, displacement of long-term residents, San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> okay, that is a, uh, a brief overview of the history of San Francisco as long as my attention can be held onto it. Uh, lost me in the very long article, which it's a good article, I'm sure. Um, I was more thinking about that older stuff. I think the counterculture, uh, that one lost me. But when we're talking about the building of the bridge and before, that's what I was looking for. So that's crazy. History of San Francisco. We did it, guys. So next on my list, do we think TV is real? Now, I looked through my old episodes because I was trying to see if I've talked about this, because I'm pretty sure I have, and I couldn't remember, and none of the titles matched up. One talked about dogs and watching TV, so it wasn't the one I was thinking of. Um, 
But as I look through them, I have no clue if I've already talked about this. But hey, I might straight up, I mean, okay, so I've I've written things down and I've like have a somewhat of a log of the things that I've like talked about, but this wasn't on there. So I'm pretty sure it hasn't been talked about. Um, and none of the things here um, match. So like, I think I'm just going to talk about it again. Uh, it's funny because the, the episode I'm looking at right now is Enneagram motivation and bad memory. And I do have a bad memory. <laughs> I'm looking at my titles. They're wild. There's so much information. Crazy. I got to have guests back. I miss it. Dog thoughts, film review, chef. Oh, that was a good one. Lightsabers. So true. Corn man. That's a crazy episode. Crazy episode. <laughs> Okay, so, dang, this is so wild. Black Adam just hit a year. That's why that was a year ago. It's weird looking through your podcast episodes, like a vision of your life or something of your life. Anyways, is, is TV real? Do we think TV is real? So this stemmed. Uh, from a conversation with me and my wife a while ago now. It, it has been a minute. It's not like anything more recent that we were talking about. Um, and I think we I've mostly worked through it like psychologically, if that is the correct word of how I've been processing it. So I used to be like, I don't want to watch TV. I just wouldn't. And as I thought about it, I think a lot of it stemmed because I get too invested. And I... I'm still learning how to process my emotions for a generalized term that many people probably uh, understand. And so I wouldn't watch TV because I would get too invested and it would be too much or like it would be like if we're getting these bad shows and stupid stuff like, ugh, like this isn't good. Um and then I would just be upset because like that would be my image of life. And I think we all go through that and at some point in our life or to some extent of like what it seems like or at least what the effect of like watching that TV is. And I think maybe some people might have it more extreme than others where it's like, oh, it like is really a part of your life and you're like even reality to feel like these people are so real or even like watching movies and stuff and you're like, oh, like that's a character. And like, I think that's um, a lot to be said around like good writing, like getting someone to feel real in that sense that like, oh, I know this person. Like, oh, I know Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. I know Michael Scott from The Office. And these are just shows that I, I gravitate towards based on like the gravity of them because I don't like anything too serious all the time um, or spooky. For those of you who don't know, I do not like the spooky. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I wasn't watching TV for a really long time. And that's what I kind of like boiled it down to is like I didn't like the investment that it would make me, that it would impose on me, that I would let it impose on me, whatever the, the correct perspective is there. Like it would just be too much. And I was like, I do not like this. And so I distanced and eventually I was like, you know, I just got to do it. And it actually helped a lot. Me and my wife watch more shows. Obviously, we're watching Gilmore Girls because um, that's a fantastic show and we've watched through it before. But like um, it's it's like a part of it is like letting these shows affect you that way that I think is 
in moderation healthy. I, I definitely think it's one of those things that there is an extreme for. Like if you are so invested, like if I just look up, is TV real? <laughs> like I said, I, I Google like a, a Dumbo so that I can get straight answers here. Reality TV distorts people's perception of true reality. See? See? University of Cincinnati also posts reality TV. Is it for real? So a lot of these are more about reality TV, which I think is obvious. You know, we have a lot of reality TV now today. Like this is a picture of Survivor, I think, which is funny because it looks really old also. Um, You know, what extent of reality TV is real? Is it real at all? Um, What if I do our TV show? characters real <laughs> it came up with reality tv again okay so um yeah a lot of this is actually saying like oh like these people were based off of real people these fictional characters are based off real psychologytoday.com posts do fictional characters affect our real life 10 out of 10 i mean this is from 2012 so who knows but thalia goldstein phd over here has written an article entitled do fictional characters affect our real life at some level do we believe everything we see on tv and that's my point i might give it a skim at a certain point during this but that's like a big part of it right um i think we can invest a lot. And I think that is perfectly okay. Again, kind of in the moderation sense, because there might be an extreme that might not be necessarily healthy if it can distort your perception of reality or like keeping you in touch with reality to what like that other article title was. And I think that's what was on my mind about it was like, I was getting to a place where I was just like too invested into TV shows. And I was like, Nope, I got to stop because it's like, it's too real. Or like, I just, I am not, uh, I'm not happy with my life where I was and I'm like, because I want the TV show to be my life, you know, maybe have like that type of, uh, alteration in a sense. And so, you know, I don't know if you guys ever felt that or felt in any way, shape or form. If you have been too invested into TV, um, (laughs) excuse me. But yeah, TV's an interesting thing in general. But uh, actually, this article doesn't look this. It's more about like other things. And apparently it's under um, this article is under the subcategory of bipolar disorder because this is from psychology today. So I don't think this is geared towards what I'm looking for in this moment. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm curious what you guys think about that. If you have thoughts, send them my way. Uh, Instagram, text if you got my number. It's all good. Um, So that was a lot shorter than the other one. But here's what is lastly on my mind for today with D&D characters. So I'm going to give a little overview. And then I'm going to go through the characters that I've made. And have all died. Um, so it is for sure time for something special. 
Welcome to Storytime. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. So it's not fully story time, but I just really wanted to use that intro because I haven't used it like ever once when I read uh, The Memory Builder by Keith. But okay, so kind of story time, but not full story time because it's not going to be a book. It's going to be a book of my thoughts, which is this podcast. Building a character in D&D. If I was to start entirely from scratch, from someone who doesn't play video games, has never played what's considered a tabletop role-playing game, and if you were like, hey, I want to play D&D, the hardest thing to do is find a schedule that works for everyone. <laughs> that is the hardest thing, um, for sure, without a doubt. Um, I'm very lucky because I have a group of friends that we've been playing D&D now for three years, coming up on four, I don't know. I think we started like early or like late 2019 and we've basically been meeting every week, if not every other week, with like a looser schedule during um, the holiday season as it gets busy for everyone. Um, and it's been awesome. We just finished our third campaign and we're starting to gear up for our fourth. Um, and so I've made a ton of characters and it is such a fun part of what D&D is. And if I was to, again, kind of actually give a, a response to like, hey, if you don't know anything about it, you want to start with like inspiration is is the way that I was taught and I think was effective by our friend Alex Randall, who is our amazing DM, Dungeon Master. Um, you kind of find your inspiration. Like, do you have someone in media? Do you have somebody um, in stories, books, whatever type of content, right? that you want to kind of like emulate. Like you could even be like, I want to be like Legolas. You can say, I want to be like Harry Potter. You can, you can, um, you can copy them dead on. You there's like, actually, if you Google, like, how do I be this person in D and D? Like there are builds for that type of stuff. And, and the way they'll tell you to play to kind of be that person, um, which can always be fun. But, um, there's also like a side of inspiration that leads you to create your own beyond them and so that's also a really fun part where you can be like well i want to start with that but i want to create my own character i want to have like this little flair i want to make them unique in this way so on and so forth and there are rules in DD that help uh make that a reality that's fair for everyone to play that makes the game challenging and also uh uh enjoyable within those limits that don't make it like too easy right because if the game was like hey i can make someone super powerful and they can just do this every single time whatever they're captain america they never get tired it, it might not be fun when it comes down to a role-playing game like putting yourself in difficult situations and creating puzzles to get yourself out of in a sense right and i don't mean like puzzles on a table like brain puzzles physical puzzles of role-playing of in the game right and so <clears throat> that's what i've always thought is like kind of create like who are you kind of going for for this like and then in D&D, it'll break it down into like the steps, uh, even like D&D Beyond, um, who's like a company that has a lot of D&D content, obviously, and resources, but uh, they have like a step-by-step -step character builder and it's going to be like, hey, pick your race. And there's going to be races within D&D world um, or the universe or the universes that um, have different, you know, 
racial features and, and uh, benefits and and stuff like that that you can pick and, and build a cool character and it can even be a part of the aesthetic and who they are um, could be a part of their culture and their background obviously as a race and um, some dungeon masters when you play in their game might have like restrictions I've never we've never had that too much um, but obviously it can be the kind of thing if you pick someone who's like far out and they're not in the land that you're in you might get looks because you are an outsider and you look scary or whatever it is right the classic type of things around that then it goes into classes classes kind of break it up into what does the person do like how do they fight what um skills do they have um beyond like the flavor of their personality and so like you know some uh class uh things here you know like you can be a fighter you can be a barbarian you can be a wizard a sorcerer um all these different things and they all have like their different benefits that all level up in a way that is like fair to one another um within that class and so you know when you make like a party when you're playing with friends like you might kind of level each other out so you're not all playing the exact same thing because you can't really be good at everything so it's it's kind of nice to pick one thing that you're good at or a few things if you can that you're good at um, to benefit the party and so that's where the class uh, might come in within D D. And this might be familiar to people who have played role-playing video games, especially, or obviously D&D. If you know all these rules, then this is familiar to you. But you have ability scores. And they, there's three physical and three mental. And what they will do is determine, like, how good you are at something. So there are strength, dexterity, constitution, um, wisdom, intelligence, and charisma. And the thing is, strength is how strong you are, how far you can throw something. Dexterity is how fast you are. How fast you could jump over something in a sense, maybe. Um, constitution, how tough you are. Can you drink the poison? Can you rough it through this, the cold night in the snow? Sleeping in a tauntaun if you're Luke Skywalker. Um, intelligence would be how smart you are, right? There's going to be certain skills like, hey, did you pay attention in school, basically? And then um, wisdom is kind of like how you use the knowledge in that sense. And it, it applies in, in some other ways of like, other skills that you might be good at if you are wise um, and maybe how perceptive you are. Can you pick up like someone who's lying? And then charisma is, is how well liked you are, how, how well you can persuade someone or lie to them even, um, maybe even perform and intimidate someone. Um, as I was using some of those words like intimidate or like uh, perception and insight, like, um, or I didn't use insight, but insight is like how, if you can tell someone's lying, there are skills in D&D. And each skill is related to one of those ability scores. So if you're like, you have your numbers and don't even worry about like the specific numbers, unless you're building a character, then you roll dice to see how well of numbers you have. Basically, those numbers define how good you are at something or how bad you are at something. So you could be really dumb, but you can be smart, right? And you kind of roll for these numbers to de determine like how good you are at these things. And that helps you build your character. So if you're someone who likes to hit someone with a sword and you want to hit them very hard, you want to be using your best number, your highest number for strength. And that is kind of the the uh, approach to those numbers and those ability scores and those those um, roles that you would have for how good you are at something. Um, from there, there are sides of like picking a background for your character and having like, oh, well, they, they are a fisherman or they're uh, a dock hand or they're a sailor. Um, I know those are all like people down at the docks. I'm, you could have been a knight 
uh, night watchman. Um, you could be an outsider. You could be a far traveler or a bounty hunter, or you could be a smuggler. And there's these backgrounds that give you like different skills and different things that you have and some other key features related to uh, who makes your character who they are. And so you pick all these things, you pick the flavor of your character and you, and, and um, a lot of the times they'll have like, hey, like if you're this type of person, maybe you have this um, ideal. What are the four? I'm off the top of my head, I'm blanking. But um, as you like deeply look at like who your character is in that sense, there are going to be um, different things that kind of uh, help you determine who your character is. There are personality or there's alignment, personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. So per alignment, you may have seen things have to do with like chaotic evil, lawful good, and kind of the scale there of like, you could even be chaotic good. And, and you know, chaotic versus lawful is like, do you follow a rigid code of kind of any kind? Because you could be lawful evil and your code is I, you know, sacrifice people. That's pretty dark, but you are following your code. Or you could be chaotic, and that's where like I just do whatever I want. It could be good, it could be bad. Good and bad are 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 I think somewhat more self-explanatory and, and obvious to see. Like if you are killing people, that might be considered bad. Especially if it's not even in like self-defense or to protect anything. Um, you might be bad and evil is what it would be considered. But good is like, do you try to protect people and save people and, and so on and so forth? And so alignment is a big part of like who you might define your character as and who they might be to you. The personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, I usually personally get them from the background because they have like stock things that you can kind of look through and they might be certain things like, you know, here's a personality trait like of this background that you chose. Um, hey, I'd like to make friends. I don't like to do this thing. I don't, I, I, I like to steal things, right? Like those type of things. And then, you know, bonds might be, or ideals and bonds are, are somewhat similar in regards to like, Hey, family always comes first. And there might be like split between certain things like that. Or like, I will backstab you every time I, every chance I get, if it's for a dollar, you know, and then flaws would be specifically things that are bad about you. So like you pick like, Oh, I can't help, but try, um, every drug that I find in the forest, I don't know, every mushroom, you know, and that's just like what you want to do as your flawed character because they're not perfect and you live in the forest. Beyond that, you know, if you cast spells, you pick your spells. If you, you fight with a weapon, you can, you know, pick whatever weapon you want and so on and so forth and kind of becoming um, this character that you've designed and you give them a name and so on. For the characters that I've had now, that's that's what I want to talk about. Um, my very first character was named Eros. And he was a phoenix sorcerer. Which as far as being a sorcerer means that you are born with the magical ability. You don't like learn it. And you're not like gifted it by a god in any way in the universe of D&D. Um, so in the backstory, uh, I made him a bounty hunter. And I had no clue what I was doing. I have to say, I played a, a, a sorcerer way different than might be intended, but I had so much fun. And while I was making it, the one thing that uh, I was always told was, 
Just follow the rule of cool. Which the rule of cool says, if it sounds cool, do it. Don't overthink it. Don't worry about it. It's first character. Rule of cool. Does it sound cool? Do it. So it sounded cool. And I did it. And he was actually even more so than just a phoenix sorcerer. He was what is called uh, of the race, uh, Aarakocra, which is a bird person. So he was like an eagle that stood upright, had wings, had arms, uh, humanoid. So when I made him, had a great time. Our campaign was like a skyship thing. And so his ability to fly was really really good um because skyship i mean like no water but you're on a ship and if you fall you fall into like the apocalypse um and so he was a ton of fun to play as um he was a very basic character tried to make him a little bit brooding um he ended up being the only person from the original crew that like made it to the end of that campaign all of his friends had died and that's the reality of D&D sometimes is like you make these characters and then they die. And like they get killed by the bad guy or something or something dumb happens sometimes. But basically, um, yeah, he was the only person that lived. And so he had kind of gone insane as I think many of us might if you were in similar scenarios of like apocalyptic world fighting massive dragons that are trying to destroy everything and all of your friends are dead over the last few months that you've been traveling. And when he lived, he was very chaotic evil. Being a phoenix sorcerer, you can imagine he used a lot of fire. And so, yeah, I, I will admit I didn't have much inspiration for him because I wanted to be original. I wasn't like, oh, I want to make it something like this or like that person. Um, and I didn't have like a specific vibe I was going for. So it opened up very plainly, uh, or very like very loosely. And I was just like, I'm going to make the character and see what happens. And, you know, he became very chaotic evil. He would, he ultimately would just do whatever he wants and he would kill the people and fight and, and do whatever. Cause he was just kind of realizing he had to be in it for himself. Cause all of his friends kept dying and he was losing the people he cared about. Uh, he ultimately lived and became the king of the goblins in that, that world. And I later made him a expert in planar travel as he is a phoenix sorcerer. When he dies, he comes back. That is not an absolute rule for D&D like gameplay, but ultimately that's what was uh, happening at the end of it. Um, and so, yeah, he uh, he ruled the goblins. He learned how to do interdimensional planar travel. And then in my next campaign, I was the DM. And basically what that means is I get to make all the other characters that my players are not. So I get to make all these different people. And I went too far in because I loved character building and I made too much about them. But uh, I brought Eros back and I had him uh, be like a resource for like a knight um, uh, in like planar travel and like pointed the party in a good direction before he got killed again and he's going to go to another plane or something and I'm sure he's still going to be alive canonically but uh that was that was Eros and he he's a really near and dear character because I played as him for over a year and you know that was like my first campaign and really getting to know the friends that I was playing with and it was just crazy like building those bonds in such a way through a character but still being who I am you know so that was a a fun thing 
my uh, uh, next campaign, like I said, I led, so I didn't like make a single character, but I will say, I might say my favorite character that I made in that would be Marcos. Um, I was playing a lot of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is the, the part of the franchise where they go to ancient Greece. And so I don't do like a, a great like Greek accent. It, it kind of sounds like Italian in a sense to me. Um, being of that same area uh, geographically, I believe. So it kind of makes sense. But um, I, I did like this voice for Marcos where it was kind of like kind of like yelling all the time. And I'm, oh, I'm so not going to do it good, but I got to pretend I can do it. And I think, um, he had a friend named Arturo. He was one of my players. Justin played as him. Justin was also one of my guests on the podcast. I promise I have other friends that have not been on the podcast. Um, but Justin played Arturo, who was like a mechanical bull. Not like, okay, not like in a bar. Uh, he was like a automaton styled like humanoid bull, like a minotaur. I mean, not a bull. That's why I got thrown around. Um, and I would play, uh, it's been a minute, but I would always be like, Arturo, like something like that. You know, I'd do a little bit of a thing and he would talk really fast and he would uh, uh, have a good time. He wasn't really anyone special. He was like a really low level cleric as far as like class-based stuff in D, &D. um but he was just a, a guy that they loved and i got the party to love him and everything i had another character that i made named ellie she was like a little girl that was like a barbarian who turned druid um had a lot of fun as her and used her to um try to bring the party together by like taking care of this little girl that like was trying to be uh like make a deal with like the evil god of death in the greek pantheon that we were in which is why i had a lot of fun with like the greek pantheon on the gods of that campaign um a lot of like if you don't under if you don't know like a lot of uh comparisons to like the greek pantheon obviously so it was just kind of like that type of like epic story that i was going for i don't know if i nailed it ask my party they might tell you a lot of things <laughs> But yeah, I had a lot of fun with those characters. I messed up too much and had too many bad guys in it. Um, but I think like my favorite bad guy I made, like there was these three robots. Basically, I, I brought robots and AI into um, ancient Greece. So that was interesting. I should have left it more pinpointed, but ultimately they were kind of like the main bad guys um, along with this other elfman named Siliopka, which was an elf name that I found online. So I went with it. But yeah. Uh, they weren't as like cool characters cause they were evil, but still a lot of fun. Um, campaign three rolls around and I'm like, you know what? I don't have specific inspo, but I guess what I could say my inspo might've been, would have been like Sherlock, uh, meets wizard, uh, meets Tony Stark turns Dr. Strange was like my ability inspo. So I made this character inspired by one of the sons in Arrested Development named Jobed, but spell it like Gob, G-O-B, um, Job. He was my character um, in the world of D&D, me and my friends, in the universe of our, our games. We have assigned the different races to have like different um, accents and like dialects and such. Um, and so different, different uh, renditions of our 
accents are are attributed to different races in D and we don't we're not like voice actors we don't do perfect accents it's just kind of fun for us to like play these characters and obviously for my dm who plays multiple characters kind of like differentiate when we're talking to someone else and so you know our elves are french i love doing a little french accent for no reason um it got some french blood in me and so uh maybe it's just you know i feel like i have to so basically i make this frenchman Tony Stark. So low level I made, and, and this is this would be the deep dive for those of you who might be interested in D&D. I started as an artificer, which artificers use magic through technology. Tony Stark turns Doctor Strange, which basically means he really used magic. Um, Doctor Strange is a sorcerer in Marvel, but a sorcerer in D&D is born with magic. Um, in D and D, if you learn magic, you are under the wizard class. And so that is what I chose to do. I, I was one level of artist, artificer and then dove into wizard. So I had like a little bit of flair of like mechanical magic, like very low level type of stuff. And then mostly magic, magic. Job was a really fun character, had a great time. He was looking for his wife, his late wife that he wasn't convinced she had died, but maybe had disappeared and was looking for her. And he was searching for her and they ended up in this new land that they were all trapped in. I will say he eventually died. And then months later, I find out that his wife was one of like the bad guys being brain controlled. So that was super cool to realize that, you know, she actually was there. <laughs> uh, 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 kudos to my DM for writing a fantastic story like that. But um, yeah, he was a character that kind of earlier on, we found this like evil book that would make you, how do I, I don't know how to explain it for people who maybe don't know D and D super well, but like make you feel physically dreadful if you read it. And he was reading it, trying to find answers about his wife and he read it so much. He went mad, like literally just went crazy and, um, lost his mind so much that he was more harm to the party and man these are like intense stories sometimes i'm just gonna say it but basically his best friend who was walk dotson <laughs> uh as i had said uh sherlock inspo walk dotson put him down uh walk dotson's a soldier very honor and duty driven in a sense, uh, for, for that type of task. And yeah, he put his friend down for the betterment of him having lost his mind entirely. Basically his brain was turned to mush. And so he put him down later. Our DM brought him back to life and tortured us with him for a little bit with, with, uh, Job. Uh, but yeah, no, then I came back as Hanson Moreau, another elf, because I love to do my French accent. Hanson Moreau was an astral elf, meaning he's from a different plane, and he ended up in this place. And he was such a fun character to play. He was, um, I would say, evil, for sure. Not entirely starting as chaotic, but definitely became more chaotic because of, of some things in his, his storyline that led to him going crazy. 
but basically, he came in. He was a sneaky dude. He was like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join you guys because I want to get the heck out of here too uh, in this crazy dimension that we're all trapped in for whatever reason. And he eventually came across this weapon called the Hellwalker, which was the shotgun that did so much damage. And um, it was uh, a weapon that my DM kind of put in there. And the Hellwalker is an evil weapon that needs to feed because it's sentient and it wants you to kill people. Hansen was our, they were already like fighting people every week or two because they needed to protect themselves. Like it wasn't like just rampant, like I'm just going to go around killing every single person uh, because I can. It was like, well, we're fighting people. So, anyways, we're going to do this. And, um, anyways, the Hellwalker, like, was really a, a useful tool as far as self defense had gone for a really long time until it tried to just be like, hey, like, you just need to start killing your friends. And it was like, what? Then, you know, there was some inner turmoil for Hansen, but Hansen was a clone and he was a sentient clone that wasn't supposed to wake up yet. So there was another version of Hansen out there that we later ran into and we're like, hey, you're me. This is bad. So there was this time that Hansen died. And when he died, he came back. I.e. me. I came back as Hansen. I was like, oh, wait, I thought I died. Um, and then it happened again, if I'm not mistaken, I think it happened twice. And I was like, okay, I'm feeling lucky. And each time I came back, I would like get flashbacks or kind of like that, like in between sleep state of like waking up or being like, I'm in a lab. I'm for sure being cloned. I want to figure out how to get back there and figure out this whole mess. Like, why am I a clone? Um, and, uh, basically I thought I was going to get lucky. And I had Hanson kill himself. Uh, clean cut. <laughs> uh, Hellwalker to the head just uh, blew his head off because I know that can be graphic, but um, I was trying to test to see like how many lives he had in a sense. Like, can I get back and try something again if I get back to that like cloning facility? And I got really unlucky and he did not have any more lives. <laughs> so he died and I lost him again. And he was a really fun character because I played him for the majority of last campaign. So it was months and months of me playing as, as Hansen Moreau, this fantastic elf that was like so sneaky and he could be so good at so many things because rogues in D&D can be good at so many things and they can be so good at so many things. It's fantastic. My next character, who I had some fun with, his name was Glegorix. You can call him Gleg for short, and that is G-L-E-G, -E Gleg. Uh, he was a plasmoid, which is a, if you have seen Flubber, but human-sized, he was just gelatin. He can be different shapes and stuff if he wanted to, but typically like as a humanoid shape. And he was a sorcerer, so he was given, uh, he was born with some type of mental ability that gave him magic. And his backstory that I had the most fun with playing was he lived in the astral plane, which is a void, kind of in between planes-ish. It's, it's one of the planes in between planes in a sense. Like it's not like you're in a universe. It's kind of like you're in between and time doesn't exist. Gleg had been in the astral plane forever and he has no clue how long. 
And he learned magic because mind flayers are in the astral plane. And they gave him psionic abilities, which are brain magic, like intellectual magic, which mind flayers use. You can look up mind flayers later. I'm not going to go into it, but they use magic through the brain, through psionics. And mind flayers were one of the bigger enemies, if not one of the biggest enemies in our campaign. So he gets powers from them, from the astral plane. He lives in the astral plane for an eternity. He knows not know how long. He doesn't know how long. And he comes uh through a mishap into campaign two campaign three sorry and all he wants as far as like giving your character a goal all he wants is friends sincerely that's all he wanted he wanted to make friends he wanted to uh, uh see what it is to be with someone with friendship Oh, it was so much fun um, being able to play a character like that. And basically, um, he runs into the party. He stalks them for a little bit because he's like, what the heck are they? But he is this pink blob. Pretty easy to see. They saw him. They're like, what are you doing here? They give him a hard time. He's like, well, can we just be friends? He ultimately kind of becomes friends. but But the party, understandably, is slow to trust because they've been going through a lot their best friend Job, who had been brought back to life by the bad guys. And one of the main bad guys was um, who would Job's wife being mind controlled, find out it's Job's wife, like just this whole mess of like, don't trust anyone, because all these bad guys can also be anyone they want. And even one of our characters, uh, who was a bugbear named Baz, kind of like a, imagine a Yeti, uh, was also lost early on. And we didn't know and there was a doppelganger essentially taking over the identity of Baz uh, that we were going with forever. And our our one of our players, Jordan, haven't had her on the uh, podcast, but she is a friend. So, boom, I have friends that haven't been on the podcast. Um, she played Baz for months until we found out that it wasn't actually Baz. So that was crazy. Uh, but the party had a lot of reason to not trust. So it took a while, and I don't even know if they fully trusted him in a sense, like that they'd have like a great bond with him. But uh, he was very helpful. He had the ability to use telekinesis to throw things around and hurt people and fight. And he didn't know anything. There is this spell in D&D called Disintegrate, and it is a high-level spell that does a ridiculous amount of damage that if it can kill someone with it, they turn to ash. It disintegrates them. Uh, if it doesn't kill him, it still does a lot of damage. Um, but essentially, Disintegrate, this spell that is like known for just wiping people out all nice and quick, he <laughs> called it the cleanup spell. Because when he is in the astral plane and he needs to use Disintegrate, it's just to get rid of stuff, clean up around the 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 house of what would be in his astral plane. He didn't, you know, kill people. He had no clue what humans could withstand. And he accidentally killed a few people um, by dropping them from over like 100 feet up uh, when they were trying to attack him and stuff. So, you know, he didn't understand anything and he could use his brain for a lot because he was very powerful. Um, he ultimately figured out uh, one of probably the bigger quandaries of our uh, campaign, and I was very proud of it. Um, in our campaign, we were against like this big bad god that was like wiping people out and we had to take him out. And there was this thing called the elder spell and we need these components. And they're like very ambiguous. Like 
We needed um, tears of a savior, uh, voice of an emperor, um, physical time, like things like that. That's like, doesn't tell us what it is. We just have to figure out and see if it works. Basically, none of us knew what the voice of the emperor was for a very long time. But since day one of the campaign, there was this statue in the tavern or the inn that we stayed in mostly that barely moved. He was dressed as a pharaoh and like we didn't understand him. There was one time I tried to read his mind as another character and I blacked out. <laughs> um, one time I think we got him to speak. I don't remember hundred or we got him to move or something like that. And it was like very ominous. Um, and we kind of figured out, well, pharaohs are kind of like emperors and empires and blah, blah, blah. So it must be him. How do we get it? One time we secretly got it and he was mad. He was like, how dare you? I'm gonna kill you guys right here. Um, and he probably could cause he's this big, powerful outer God in the world of D and D. And we gave it back. We we're like, okay, we don't want your voice. Sorry about that. Cause he, we tried to sneak it out of him and, and uh, he was like, no, give it back. I saw that. Um, and so Gleg one day we're all sitting around. We're like, we're getting up to that part of the campaign where we can't stay still for too long. Um, we're getting hunted. It's getting dangerous. It's like, oh, we know that something bad is going to happen in like three days, but we need to do something and we don't know exactly what it was. Gleg was like, everyone's talking and Gleg was basically the, the, the one who's like, oh, sorry, the adults are talking. So he can't talk. Right. And that was his character. I made him like that. Had a lot of fun. He was very effective in the things that he needed to do. He caused a lot of trouble on accident because he wasn't smart. And there was this moment, everyone, all the adults are talking and he's like, Hey guys, I'll be right back. I'm going to go try something. And he's like, I'm gonna go try to get the voice of the emperor. And they're like, whatever, man. <laughs> so I walk away and Gleg, this guy who has this, this, this dude who knows nothing. He's been dressed up like ragtag fisherman clothes. He's a blob of pink flubber looking dude trying to hide in this crazy place in this new world that he's like man i just want friends i've made some friends but i don't know if they're really my friends because they don't really like me um and you know like he he's just been learning a lot like he learned like oh sorry i didn't mean to kill that person are they not my friend anymore like i just thought we were my friends and his friends have had to be like hey gleg like those guys aren't friends we're gonna fight them and like He's like, oh, okay, then we're going to fight them. What should I do? You know, like he's just been learning so much. And some of our characters, one was a paladin. My wife played a paladin named Jade Jones. She did a fantastic job as her. Um, and then our uh, Jordan second character after Baz had died um, named Nari was a cleric. And so they both served like gods. And um, another one of our person or like our companions served a god. And Gleg is like, hmm. I kind of want that. They seem to like, and these were, they served like good gods in the world, like not like evil ones or anything. But we found out that the Pharaoh man was Nyarlathotep, Nyarlathotep, which is kind of this outer god that like doesn't worry about mortals, but is it good? Um, and I don't know the full history of him as far as like, D&D lore goes, but uh, Gleg walks up to this statue and is like, hey, 
uh, question for you. Basically, like, hey, I need the voice of the emperor for this elder spell to save my friends. If you give it to us, I'll serve you for eternity. And my DM is like, basically, like, why would you do that? Like, as Nyarlathotep. And I was like, well, I don't really know anything. Uh, so I'll just do whatever you tell me to. <laughs> and it was kind of a convincing argument because he in D&D, you roll dice for probability of like how successful you can do something. And uh, we used a, uh, like a, basically what we use as inspiration. Uh, it's a card that says you succeed. So I succeeded in persuading him to let me do it. And I was able to have him give us a voice and become his eternal servant, uh, which I'll get to a little bit more after this. But he's like, cool. I go back upstairs and I'm talking to the party and I turn into this like monster from the black lagoon type of deal. And they're like, what is going on? And they all start like feeling dreadful presence whenever they're near me because I'm just like so horrifying now that I've like become uh, a servant of this God. And like, uh, I'm just like, Hey guys, like I got the voice of the emperor <laughs> and it was hilarious cause it totally worked. Um, and, and a little bit later I found out I have this ability from him that I can like change my skin and I became this like real good looking Gleg, Gleg type of guy, uh, you know, of Spaniard descent with a nice chiseled chin and the scruff and, you know, the ruddy hair and everything. Um, and so no one was afraid of me anymore. Um, but I got some real cool abilities from that that were just so hilarious. And yeah, uh, Gleg was absolutely hilarious from then on and just, still making friends. He got the thing. We, we ended up fighting killing the main bad guy and coming out on top. And then because of his agreement where he's like, Hey, I'll serve you for eternity. If my friends are saved, his friends were saved. And he began to serve this God for eternity. And that was like a world, uh, a life, an eternity of domination of other universes and, you know, making friends as they put it in a violent sense. Um, with like some cool power and all that kind of stuff. And he went on to live forever and who knows if he comes back, we'll find out, but uh, there's no time bound, no time bound for him. Um, he was around when his other friends had passed away because they were not eternal anymore. Uh, like Jade and walk, but yeah, Gleg was a real fun character that I played for a real short time there at the end of that campaign and um, trying to find ways to like bring that fun to other characters I'm now looking at my next character. Um, I think he's going to be French. He's going to be an elf. He's got to be. Um, but I'm thinking of doing a wizard build of a character to fit the party and, and just some of my favorite build of stuff that I can like be and do. Um, we'll find out if I can stick with it because I get like the... Uh, like the back and forth about it, but basically, oh, if I do, he's going to be like this cool wizard that learned at like the nature wizard school. And, you know, uh, he's going to be a psionic wizard. So he's got also brain magic again, uh, which should be fun. And then he's actually a human uh, who like just know, like who was raised by elves in a sense. So he just knows, um, Elvish, which is our French language. So uh, his name is actually Benoit Julien Pierre Montaigne. Uh, and I'm super excited to play as him maybe coming up here. If not, I got another guy who might be called Lucien, Lucien 
Remy Oliver Dervo. Uh, we're gonna see which one I stick with, and we'll go from there. But man, D and D, D and D characters, my D and D characters, crazy time. Um, as I look back and and how I was gonna mention like how it brings us together, just a little tidbit at the end here, like, um, D and D super rad. Like I said, I've been basically every single week, if not every other week for the past three years, had a place to meet with friends so consistently and build some really cool bonds through these like random stories that just like get imprinted on us, you know? Um, but it's mostly about like having friends and, and getting together. And honestly, if anyone has an opportunity to do it, I'd say do it, uh, especially if you enjoy it. If you don't, maybe not. My wife is still getting the hang of it in the sense that like, I feel like she kind of goes back and forth. If she really likes it, she likes to hang out with people, of course, but she like, you know, it's still like, do I really like playing this game? You know, uh, tons of fun, but you know, yeah, no, uh, D and D is, is a, is a rad time. And I think there's more to it in that. And even if it comes down to you having like a game night with friends and family, super duper consistently, I think it would nail the same, uh, thing and on the head there where it's just like getting together with people like that and, and building memories is a lot of fun. I think there's tons of other ways to do it, but I've, I'm one of the lucky ones who's been able to do it through dungeons and dragons. So I think that's all I got for you guys. I really appreciate you guys listening. If you got any thoughts on this, send them my way positive, maybe negative. I don't know if you want to, if you feel the need to, then do it. I don't know if I want to fully solicit negative thoughts, but you know, Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you listening until next time when we get to episode three. But thank you for listening to episode two of Dish Knows Nothing. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to Dish Knows Nothing. Follow me on Instagram at Dishyman or email me at Dishyman at gmail.com. Hit me up with topics and questions that I can address on the show. Remember to rate and subscribe. It's truly appreciated. Take care and stay grinding.